0: Judge Rosie Speedland gonzalez of County Court of Law 13 is my guest today. In 2019, she became the first openly gay Latina judge in Bear County history. Her domestic abuse docket is one of two misdemeanor courts that focus solely on family violence. She's become an expert in her field. And for almost four years now, she's been embroiled in a dispute before the Texas Commission on Judicial Conduct over the use, at one time, of a pride flag in a courtroom. We'll hear more about that later and about this month's big celebration of pride. Well, welcome, Judge. It's so nice to have you here. Buenos dias. I'm happy to be here with you this morning. Um, happy Pride Month. Happy Pride. Um, I have so much to talk with you about. Let's get it to it. You grew up in Brownsville, even though I consider you full, fully San Antonian. So does everyone else. But you grew up in Brownsville with a very strong Mexican father and an equally strong Mexican-American mother who was a feminist but wouldn't like that label. And it sounds like a very fascinating place to grow up as a gay child.
1: Tell us what it was like to grow up in that environment. Bipolar. Bipolar. And I mean it in the best sense of the word. Uh, I had a father who had a second grade education, who didn't give up his citizenship till his early seventies, and became an American citizen at the pushing of my mom at that point. Um, And he was a Mexican federal, a customs agent for forty years of his life before he retired on the Mexican side. On the the Mexican side, and he was a, a resident alien in the United States, and. He was Mexicano hasta sus meras cachas. Easy translation from head to toe, yes. right? And he insisted that my brother and I speak perfect Spanish. Our role models for that were Jacobo Sabludoski. He was on uh, a Mexican television, the Walter Cronkite of Mexico, right? And uh, people like Silvia Pinal, who was a soap opera actress and singer in Mexico. My mom, on the other hand, was a product of post-World War II, a lot of uh, good citizen indoctrin- indoctrination, um, was of the generation that was prohibited from speaking Spanish on the playground, uh, did bomb drills and would dive under the desk. And for her, she was very proud to be an American, born in El Calaboz, between San, uh, El Ranchito y La Paloma which sits between San Benito and Brownsville. Yeah, you're finally getting a little bigger where I can, on the map, I right. can see you. So that's where she was born and grew up. My brother, my brother, my dad was born in Linares, Nuevo Leon, Mexico. And going back to my mom, she insisted that my brother and I speak English and that we better not have an accent mm-hmm. because she believed that if you had a Mexican or Spanish accent, that people would judge you for that. So she spoke only English to us. My dad spoke only Spanish to us, which made my brother and I proficient in both languages. So good. Very good. And now he was a self-proclaimed curandero, did did not believe in the church. He grew up in that post-Mexico socialism era. My mom was a staunch Catholic. And so they were really good about, my mom would tell us uh, esas cosas, my dad's quote unquote trabajos, Son cosas de tu papá. Those are your dad's things and beliefs. We go to church every Sunday. And when you all get to be of age, you can choose one or the other, choose neither, and make your own way. That was my mom's progressive way of raising. Very progressive, very feminist, very um, everything. Everything, yes. Uh, what a dichotomy. Yes. Uh, she Raised us, my dad would be out working out in caminos, at the, as they say in Mexico, he was at any time stationed between Matamoros and Juarez. And my mom worked eight to five for two brothers, Ruben and Ben Edelstein, who owned Edelstein's Better Furniture, a furniture chain stores all over the Rio Grande Valley. And she was one of their bookkeepers. And they valued education above everything else. And so they agreed to let her leave work early, which meant at 4.30 instead of (laughs) 5, so that she could go to night school. And so between my second grade and my freshman year of high school, she did that and was able to matriculate and earn not only her bachelor's, but her master's degree in education and bilingual ed, graduating summa cum laude. So my brother and I spent a lot of weekends at... Texas Southmost College Library. And she was upstairs in her study group, and we were downstairs in the children's library every weekend. That was good for you. Absolutely great for us. They had air conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> that's the plus. That's the plus in South Texas. Well,
0: that's fascinating. Okay, since this is Pride Month, um, and so such happiness, such joy, such pride, Um and also, lots of young people watching, learning. How did you decide to come out in this um, family, it, to your parents, to to your Mexican father, to your progressive mother?
1: The act of coming out uh, was about I, I want to say between the age of twenty four and twenty six and I had already been living with my first living girlfriend, Sonia. And I could see that quizzical look in my mom's eyes when she'd come visit us, or I'd go home and visit, and Sonia was with me. And I finally made the decision I need to tell her. And it was over Barbacoa and, and, uh, and Pico de Gallo on a Sunday. And I remember my mom was reading the Brownsville Herald. And I was sitting across from her, and I said, Mom, I have to tell you something. And she kept reading the paper, and I said, I'm gay. And she folded the paper over toward me, and you could just see the line of the paper across her nose, and she looked at me, and she said, tell me something I don't already know. And then she just flipped the paper back up and continued to read without skipping a beat. My dad never, I never had that act of coming out with him, but he'd do stuff like, we were at River Center Mall it just opened and we were on one of the t- second floor and we could see across the mall to the other side of the mall because it has glass walls and windows and he was tracking a woman in a white linen pantsuit walk and he pointed at me he goes mira que cosas nos da dios mm. look at the gifts that god gives us and I'm like, why would he say that to his daughter, right? Yes, right. But in retrospect, he could share that with me. Mm-hmm. I remember a relationship some years later, and I had made the decision that I needed out of the relationship, and I had, I had come home to allow the woman to move out without me being there. And my, after I was home for about three or four days, my dad approached me, and he says, in Spanish, when are you going back? If you don't go back soon, she's gonna leave you with nothing. So there were those comments to me from him that I believe he knew. Mm-hmm. And growing up, I was daddy's girl and my brother was mama's boy. So we had very different relationships with our parents. Yeah, it, it sounds so beautiful, really. Growing up in Brownsville was the best. We were a 10 minute drive from Matamoros, which wasn't as dangerous as it is now. Mm -hmm. And 20 minutes from either Boca Chica Beach or South Padre Island, we could choose. And I tell people I'm a proud product of the public school system, Brownsville Independent School District. And I tell people I grew up in the best place to live in the world. And it sounds like with terrific parents. With awesome, terrific parents, yes.
0: It took a while for you to get to law school. It did. Um, talk about the series of jobs you did in and out of the justice system that
1: inform your judgeship. So um, Henry Flores, Professor Flores, um, made a scholarship available to me to go to grad school. And so I would have been a triple alumni St. Mary's, but I dropped out. And I was a, a, a sure product of the 80s culture. Very uh, Now, in hindsight, I'm 58. I was in my very early 20s, uh, very selfish, self-centered. I just wanted to be with my friends and be out partying at the bottom or at phases. And so I didn't have the discipline to study. And I knew it. So I dropped out. But before I made that call to my parents, I knew I had to have a job. And I walked down to what was then the Southwest Neuropsychiatric Institute for Children that used to be located next to the old orphanage on Woodlawn and St. Cloud. So that was my first job on the admissions unit. And I was there for almost three years. That What was that place like? Um, if you can recall, one flew over the cuckoo's nest, mm-hmm. the padded rooms, the restraints and all with children. And they had different levels of needs in different cottages, but I was on the admissions unit. So we got the children unmedicated, in complete chaos in their heads. And we had to stabilize them before they moved into the other less restrictive units.
0: And these were little kids or were they teenagers?
1: Most of them were either preteen or teenagers. Yes. and um, So that was your first job? That was my first adult job. From there, I went and did child abuse investigations for CPS, I was there almost three years. Um, Went on to work for communities in schools as a gang counseling facilitator at Harlandale High School. Worked at Catholic Charities as a community emergency assistance program uh, director, giving $50 vouchers to people in dire need. Uh, Went on to work for the Mexican American Unity Council, and ran a first-time offender program for adolescents with the history in substance abuse and uh, got them involved in a curriculum that built resiliency. And our our pipeline was the truancy courts at the JP level and juvenile court. And so they'd come and finish a 12-unit curriculum with us and we'd send them back. Once they completed it successfully and their cases would get dismissed. Um, Travis County heard of me and someone sent me a, a communication to let me know that they were looking for someone to help them establish their diversion programs at the juvenile court. I applied, I got the job. And so I was there uh, w- uh, for almost three years as well. Uh, before I got a call in the middle of the night and my mom called at about 3.30 and put my dad on the phone who was speaking a lot of gibberish. And I said, what's going on, mom? She goes, I don't know, but I need help. It's not the first time it happens. And you couldn't understand what he was saying. It wasn't Spanish, it wasn't English. He was just kind of rattling rattling off sounds. And uh, the call was made to my brother who was recently married. And it was, I made the decision, I'm not gonna make him pull up stakes and move to Brownsville. It's easier for me, I'm single and I can move down to Brownsville and I did. And over the next year and a half, I helped my mom take care of my dad. Um, and I also taught at my old high school. Wait a minute, what was, what was up with your father? He was starting to experience um, wet brain, which is alcoholism oh. induced dementia, but he also had uh, limited oxygen going to the brain because he had clogged arteries. Mm-hmm. Um, and we learned all of that in this process. Uh, eventually he had um, a stint at a nursing home and I remember my brother and I going to visit him and we weren't happy with the quality of care. So she brought him home. And so uh, he was being cared for at home with the nurse and my mom in the evenings. And in the middle of all that, my mom says, I think you should consider applying to law school like you had considered early on in college. Because we your mom always thinking of education. Mm -hmm. I love that. And she said, we need an extra income that can help pay for his medical because. He had insurance from Mexico, universal health care, mm-hmm. but we would have had to drive him to Monterrey. Yes, And he was in a state that did not allow for that. So here I go and I, and I apply and I get admitted and I get through my first year of law school and my mom and dad had committed to paying for law school. I didn't have any grants or financial aid. They had put away a nice nut of resources. And so in my second year, I just started, um, that's when my dad passed in 1999 in, in September. And, um, but it was through my experience with his last years of life that led me to be there. Mm-hmm. And through his hard work, my mom's hard work, they, they made sure that I completed law school. And- Just um, brilliant. My mom retired immediately after I got my license to practice law.
0: Beautiful. Yeah. It's been a tough year for the LGBTQ community, given the more than a hundred bills.
1: In Texas alone.
0: Um, and yeah, and all, all over the country that introduced um, uh, anti um, bills. bills. What's been the impact of that on the movement, on the people? everything from anti-rights to anti-drag shows, for God's sakes, as if they're hurting people, Um, everything. What has been the impact on the community?
1: I think for people of my generation and older, we have this hope that things are going to get better. We just got to get through this growing pain because we have hope that This is not the end all be all for our community. And a lot of us grew up being treated uh, badly by our families, by our friends. Um, And we feared them knowing that we were gay. And until we built a trust to where we could come out, uh, we were living our lives for other people, to please our parents, to please our friends, to please our employer, to please the church. Um, And, It was later on in life, in my 30s, that I realized that it wasn't until I would start to live my life authentically as myself that I would be able to live a happy, personal and public life. And I think now, if we fast forward and jettison forward, um, I think a lot of us have taken the position that we need to mentor and be caretakers for those who are most distraught. Because if you talk to people in my generation, there, resi- there really isn't, If when I talk to them, a sense of urgency. We got this far, we're gonna stay here, but there is a sense of urgency, it appears, in our youth, in our younger people in our community. And we wanna let them know it's gonna get better. But we have to fight. We fought, we continue to fight, so that you could have maybe a less conflict. But we have been, watching this onslaught uh, of over 400 anti-LGBT bills filed throughout the country. And I think we just heard the opinion from Tennessee that said, your anti-trans bill is unconstitutional. And so at the local level, I think uh, local politics may believe that they can make an impact to push back this wave of progressiveness. Uh, when it comes to LGBT rights. But then you get into the, the serious state courts, appellate courts, and those individuals took an oath to apply the law uh, equally and justly, not politically. And so I have confidence that my colleagues at upper levels of the judiciary will hold that and toe that line for the rest of us until I see otherwise. But I've seen them Step up to the challenge of making sure that our community is treated with equal dignity, equal respect, and equal access to the law.
0: Let's hope. I'm an optimist too. So, in spite of all that, um, you're you're always having such fun. It's fu- it's fun to watch your Facebook timeline, um, and I know you'll ride in the. Um,
1: Pride Parade. Tell us about that before we get to the flag issue. Okay. I've been a participant and supporter of that Pride Bigger Than Texas Parade for years. As an attorney, I took a lot of joy in having a motorcycle entry. And I would get a bunch of my friends with motorcycles to come with me and rev it up. You you ride what kind? A Harley Davidson, a 1200 okay, touring, touring you edition. And um just to rev those motorcycles down Main, Main Street and watch the crowd just lose it and just go nuts. Um, but as a judge, I've also been a participant and they, they want us in a, in a different type of presentation. So they've offered convertibles, vintage convertibles for the parades. Um, I've always included Michael Quintanilla to ride with me because he, he just enjoys it and the crowd enjoys him. Stacy's in the front seat with the driver. And um, this year, I have partnered with a low rider car club because I've never seen low riders in the parade and this is the largest parade in in san antonio it's longer than any fiesta parade but it's shorter in distance it goes from maine where hog wild records is all the way down to lexington but it has more entries. it has more entries because everybody gets in the parade mm -hmm. (laughs) and so uh we've secured a couple of lowriders one for myself and one for my sister court judge melanie Lita, who's also lgbt and um we're and excited about it. And then there's a third it. entry that will be with you. Tell us about Natalie that. Natalie Uh Hopefully she can make it. And she's the first that I know of out LGBT Fiesta Queen. And so she's had and she's beautiful and she's gorgeous. Her dad is Joe Gomez, a very well known uh, attorney here in town. And so we're excited. We're very excited about it. I believe you, uh, state rep Josie Garcia is also going to be a part of the parade as a member of the community herself. She identifies with the B in the Alphabet Mafia of LGBTQIA+. And so we're excited to have all these women. We have a, a justice of the peace, Michelle Garcia, uh, who's also out. And uh, I'm just excited to see all these elected officials that have finally come into their own and are out in public authentically. And it um, feels safe to do so.
0: It does. And it's such a joyous event. And I'll be in the crowd waiting, waiting um, for to you all. Um, the flag issue. That's the big elephant in the room. And it's been in the room for a long time, Judge. Yes. Tell us about, uh, take us back to when it first started and then where we are today, which is a continuation of an attorney's
1: fight against you. Right. Um, When I was sworn in on January 1st of 2019, Mm -hmm. I was presented with the flag by Maria Salazar, who was at the time the co-chair, to the LULAC Orgullo Council. And the Orgullo Council, the Pride Council, it was the first uh, in San Antonio and only the second LGBT LULAC Council in the state. That's right. And so she presented the pride flag to me at my swearing in and I made the commitment to display it in the courtroom and I did. And it was fine going into my first term until about August of 2019. And then uh, I received notice from the Commission on Judicial Conduct that an attorney had filed a grievance against me and alleging that displaying the flag in the courtroom the way I did, indicated that I was biased in favor of the LGBT community. And so the commission heard his complaint and uh, it resulted in me being sanctioned. And tell us a little bit of the commission as you see it. Well, how is it made up? The commission is made up of govern, governor appointees um, and very few attorneys, very few judges, but more lay citizens on the commission.
0: And um, and doesn't have a lot of policing. No, they actually it. have
1: uh, self-investigatory powers. They can actually start an investigation, as they say from the bench, sua sponte, Right. They can start an investigation of their own volition without even having a complaint. So Mm -hmm. uh, the attorney's complaint resulted in them digging more into me. And they saw a robe that I was wearing that had a sarape pattern on the top of it. They saw a colorful pen I was using. I was wearing glass frames that had uh, color in them. I had a pride rainbow, mouse pad. So they directed me to remove all rainbows from my courtroom, not just the flag. And they interpreted what I was wearing and what I was writing with and wearing on my face for uh, glasses and my mouse pad is also being rainbows. And my attorney, Deanna Whitley, at the time said, just remove them all, just go ahead. And I said, well, what about these children's courts and family courts across the street that have rainbows and unicorns all over their courts? She goes, we're gonna use that in an argument. And so um, the discipline was that I um, take an additional four hours of training at the ju- at the judges college and that I could not be a visiting judge after I left the bench at all whatsoever for the rest of my legal. Career. Which is pretty harsh. It is very harsh. And so we ended up appealing. Uh, what we argued was uh, overreaching by the Commission in their in how they handled the grievance. And after three and a half years, because COVID slowed everything down, That's right. now I three have three to- and a half years. Yes. Oh my goodness. Um the commission did offer us a Zoom uh hearing. And my attorney said, no, thanks. We want to go in person to Austin to make argument. And we did. And we brought photos of a number of judges in their own robes, camouflage robes, daishiki robes, red robes, purple robes, all colors of robes. And our question was, why was this judge singled out as opposed to the other judges? You have... Self-investigatory powers Mm -hmm. in regard to the flag. The flag hasn't been in the courtroom since we got notice from the commission that there was a grievance filed. But but where is the flag now? It sits right outside my chamber doors across from an American flag that was given to me by an LGBT service member veteran, Cynthia Barrientos who took it, carried it into enemy territory and brought it back. And she presented that flag to me at my swearing-in because she presented the colors at my swearing-in and then presented that flag to me at my swearing-in. And so uh, they sit right outside the door. One is the pride flag, one is the American flag. And that's where they've been uh, since the commission first notified me that a grievance had been filed in regard to the pride flag.
0: But um, the case isn't over yet.
1: Well, uh... We, we, we prevailed in the appeal and then uh, start... Uh, just last month, wasn't it in May? Just last month in April, at the end of April, oh, in April. Uh, we got notice from the same attorney who had filed motions to recuse me on cases in county court at law number 13. And there's a process for that. You file a motion and you get a, a, a visiting judge or the regional judge to hear your motion. And so all of his motions were denied. And um, they were uh, alluded to a lot of biblical scripture. Um, Some of it was misquoted. Uh, And he, on the day that the motions were denied, tendered uh, an email to me personally that congratulated me on, on prevailing and letting me know that he was on that day effective immediately, retiring and resigning from the practice of law. And in addition to filing those nine motions to recuse me, he refiled the same complaint that, uh, the appellate judges had ruled on in January, vindicating me and dismissing the attorney's grievance and dismissing, vacating any discipline against me. So he refiled the same complaint. And this. And that was in May, correct? Correct. But added some old photographs alleging that the flag was still in the courtroom. And so he sent the copy of the complaint to us, but we haven't heard from the commission on it. So I don't know if they're going to take any action on his complaint. He's no longer an attorney by his own self-identification. He's retired. So my attorney and I, Deanna Whitley and her co-counsel Meredith Ford and I are now waiting to see if that grievance will go anywhere with the commission.
0: Well, we'll we'll pick up on that at another time. Um, we'll watch to see what happens, and in the meantime, happy pride. Happy Thank you. Pride. Thank you for being here, and I'll see you at the parade. Make sure you wave. I will.